Dr. Catherine Riddick is Departmental Lecturer in Gender and International Human Rights and Refugee Law at the Refugee Studies Centre at the University of Oxford. Research focuses on gender, refugee protection, and discrimination and violence against women, issues she examines from an international legal and feminist perspective. Catherine is Principal Investigator of the Undoing Discriminatory Borders Project, which aims to uncover and challenge discrimination in immigration law and migration control. Catherine joins me to discuss the recent plan proposed by the UK government to send asylum seekers for processing in Rwanda, a proposal met with condemnation from rights groups and which the UN Refugee Agency deemed to be against international law. Dr. Catherine Riddick, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me and for starting a discussion on this really important topic. For those who have not followed the announcement of the policy closely, what are key elements that we should know about? So on the 13th of April this year, 2022, the government of the United Kingdom signed a memorandum of understanding with the Republic of Rwanda on what is described as an asylum partnership arrangement. This agreement seeks to enable the transfer or forced removal of asylum seekers from the UK to Rwanda to have their claims determined there in accordance with Rwandan asylum and immigration law. Now, this MOU needs to be understood within the context of the Nationality and Borders Act, which recently received royal assent in the UK. This legislation will, amongst other things, criminalise people simply for seeking protection in the UK. It will make it harder for them to be recognised as refugees if they're not deported or transferred to Rwanda, and it will deny them key rights. It's this act that provides a domestic legal foundation for the externalisation of refugee determination and protection. So to follow up on that, what rights do refugees have under UK and international law? And, and why have rights groups and UN agencies stated that the Rwanda policy would violate these rights? So the internationally agreed 1951 Refugee Convention and its 1967 protocol defines who a refugee is and sets out the protection that all refugees should receive without discrimination. And this includes protection from reformer, return to a situation where someone's life or freedom is threatened. It also includes protection from penalisation, including, for example, criminal prosecution in certain circumstances. It includes a number of other vital rights, including the right to work, to education and to move freely. Now, both the UK and Rwanda are signatories to the convention, and they both develop their own national asylum determination procedures. Now, the UK-Rwanda agreement creates a two-tiered system where some asylum seekers have their claims determined in the UK and have the rights that go with that here while others will have their claims determined under Rwandan asylum and immigration law. And it's this difference in treatment that creates the potential for rights to be violated because the two systems differ in a number of key respects, including in relation to how decisions to refuse asylum may be appealed. Now, you've mentioned um, UNHCR. Uh, in 2021, UNHCR uh, filed a submission to the United Nations Human Rights Council as part of the periodic review of Rwanda. And that report was clear that Rwanda's domestic refugee law was fully compliant with international standards and that Rwanda had in place detailed RSD procedures. It noticed 
a number of really significant problems, however, with the implementation of those laws and procedures. Now, those who are recognised as refugees in Rwanda face other significant challenges because the majority of refugees in Rwanda live in camps and have limited access to economic and other opportunities. Now, finally, Human Rights Watch has characterised Rwanda's human rights record as appalling. It's identified violence against refugees, extrajudicial killings, suspicious deaths in custody, unlawful and arbitrary detention, torture and abusive prosecutions. Amnesty International has expressed similar concerns about deaths in custody and the use of spyware against journalists, activists and politicians. The UK government is aware of Rwanda's human rights record and indeed has directly raised concern about respect for human rights with the Rwandan government. Of course, there are also a number of problems with the UK's asylum determination process, but it has significantly greater capacity and the possibility of appeal to an independent tribunal with the help of publicly funded legal advice and assistance. But what I hope is clear from the brief sketch that I, I've given is that those facing removal to Rwanda face a difference of treatment, and seemingly that difference of treatment will be based solely on their mode of arrival in the UK. Your research focuses on the ever-present gender dynamic in migration. How do you predict that this policy will affect women asylum seekers? Um, I think that's a really, um, really important question. Um, now, much of the detail of the policy, including, as I've said, the criteria on which people uh, will be sent to Rwanda remains completely unclear. Um, we've had briefings um, from uh, the Home Office, um, and these briefings have been um, deliberately obscure and contradictory. Um, and as I've also said, we don't know how decisions will be made pursuant to the policy uh, when we do see it. Now, this raises concerns about particularly vulnerable groups about, of asylum seekers, um, those who have been tortured or those who have experienced sexual violence, those who have been trafficked, those who seek protection on the grounds of their sexual orientation or their gender identity. I've also mentioned separated children. Now, all of these groups of people may face particular challenges in making claims for protection. And um, we know, for example, that women uh, ex, uh, disclose having experienced gender-based violence um, fairly late on in the adjudication process, for example. Um, similarly, survivors of torture um, may find it very difficult um, when they first are screened um, in telling a decision maker or an agent of the state about the violence and uh, ill treatment that they have experienced. Some of these groups also face legal barriers in being understood as having their claims for protection as falling within the refugee convention. So we know, for example, that, that women often face legal barriers to being recognised as refugees as women, and that individuals who face persecution on the grounds of their sexual orientation um, may similarly uh, face legal challenges um, in it being understood that they are being persecuted because of their membership of a particular social group. So all of these groups of people may, because of the nature of their journey to the UK, because of the nature of their asylum claim, or because of their personal circumstances, um, will have issues that make them um, more vulnerable in the asylum process. Um, and we simply do not know how this policy will be implemented and how these groups of people could be affected. And just as a final question... The government's defense of the proposal is that it is first a solution to human trafficking and second that it will reduce the number of people dying in dangerous channel crossings. Will it? And what are some of the policies that could help displace people not take such dangerous risks? And thank you for that really, um, really important question, because it's I think, goes to the heart of both the proposal um, and the act itself. 
which is there is absolutely no doubt that the wealth um, of academic and other research um, is very clear that these proposals offer no solution um, to the barriers that individuals seeking protection face accessing a jurisdiction that is safe. This is not a solution to human trafficking or smuggling, and indeed it's likely to increase um, the exploitation and the violence that protection seekers are subject to. We know already, for example, that individuals who have made asylum claims in the UK um, have, uh, ha have essentially withdrawn from the support services that they were receiving, um, are very concerned about making contact with lawyers and discussing their protection needs because they fear that they're going to be sent to Rwanda. Um, so already we have individuals um, who, who may become more vulnerable to exploitation in the UK. Now, you asked the question, what can be done to ensure that people don't take such risks? I've recently written the blog for the Oxford Human Rights Hub, where I, I set out this in a little bit more detail. But we know that lives are saved when people are able to move safely and legally. And what this means is that states should lift visa requirements from countries where uh, there are widespread human rights abuses, for example, or countries that are in conflict, as a number of European states have done in relation to those who are fleeing the illegal war in Ukraine. But we also know that states can put in place a range of measures that enable people who are seeking inter international protection to move legally. And this could be things like humanitarian visas or other routes which enable people to reunite with family members or to move for other reasons, for example, to take up economic opportunities or to study. It's these types of policies, those that enable mobility, that will ensure that people who are fleeing war um, and serious and grave violations of human rights are not compelled to undertake illegalized and dangerous journeys. Thank you so much again. <laughs>